The following audio is from Summit Church. For more information on Summit Church, visit www.summitonline.tv. Welcome to Summit Church Online today. Wherever you're joining us from, I'm just thrilled that you chose to engage whatever you're doing with the Word of God. I I know it is so important in this season for us to stay connected. That's a little bit hard to do at this point, but I thank you for choosing to worship with us, and I know that God is going to do amazing things in and through you. If you were with us last week, whether in person or online, uh, we talked through the first four verses of Philippians chapter 2, and we saw that unity... Unity amongst people will produce joy. But the only way we're going to be able to find that unity and that joy is to adopt the same mindset that Jesus himself has. And that mindset is one of humility that has no selfish ambition or vain conceit rooted in it. And that is a huge, huge bar for us to try and attain. So today, I want us to read a few verses. We're in Philippians chapter 2, 5 through 11. It's a poem, actually. It's a poem that Paul wrote to describe the mind of Christ. Now, that is a lofty idea. What, what is the mind of Jesus? What does that look like? What is he thinking? What is he doing? This few verses will unpack some of that, the mind of Christ, how he functions, how he thinks, how he works. And I believe that if we are to pursue unity, which produces joy, we need to have this same mindset. And in fact, last week, if you were with us, I read these verses to conclude the sermon, that our relationships need to be governed by this mindset. And so now today we get to unpack it, and I know that God has something really, really huge in store for all of us. So let's jump in. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5, it says this, In your relationships with one another, the way you engage within your community, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Now, that mindset is one free from selfish ambition, vain conceit. It's a humble one. We get that from the verses before. Now Paul jumps into the poem. He jumps into describing this mindset of Jesus. And I'll tell you right now, it's huge. It's so big. It's so more lofty than I really want to press into within myself. But if we get this, church, if we get this, it changes everything. If we see that our Lord, Savior, Creator, humbled himself because of the love that he has For us, if we see that and we embrace that and we try to apply that to our lives, it will change the game. Philippians chapter 2, verse 6, talking about Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, he was God, he did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. That phrase, advantage, there, it means something to lay hold of. It means that Jesus, being God, didn't say, I've got to hold on to this. This is all I've got going for me. I'm going to hold on to the fact that I'm God, and I'm going to live my life as God, and I'm going to do this because I am God, and I get to do it because I'm God. It's not something that he said, I'll hold on to it with hands that will not release. And thank goodness for all of us 
that Jesus had this mindset. Being God, he said, that's something I'm not going to hold on to. I'm not going to make it non-negotiable. I'm willing to lay it down for you and for me. It's a huge point. It's a huge thing to see. So we can't forget. We cannot forget that Jesus possessed his godness long before any human ever graced this earth. John, the Gospel of John, starts. The very beginning of the Gospel, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, starts with this declaration that Jesus is God. It says this, In the beginning, before there was anything else, In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. In the Gospel of John, Jesus is referred to as the Word multiple times. The Word was God. He was with God in the beginning, before all things. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. He is the author and the creator of life. Everything you see, just take a moment and let that sink in. Everything that you see, every person that you love, every mountain, tree, and lake, everything in which you find beauty was spoken into existence by Jesus, who existed as God before there was time and will exist as God after time has ceased. This God said being God is not something I have to hold on to with a clenched fist because there's a greater purpose. There's a greater good that comes from me letting go of my Godness momentarily to come and rescue my creation. Everything that I spoke into existence, I will come and I will rescue it. But the only way I can do so is by humbling myself, by letting go. Now, the glory that was rightfully God's, that was rightfully Jesus, the the glory that he could have stood on for all time, he said, I'll let go of it for you and for me. There is no selfish ambition in that. There is no vain conceit in that. And as I think about my own life, because Paul in verse 5 challenged us, right? Remember, he challenged us to have the same mindset. The same mindset as God who says, I'll let go of this to come save, to come humble myself and be something great. I will let go of my godness for others. I think of myself like, how humble am I? Do I have this mindset? Is that really something that I possess? And unfortunately, far too often, the answer comes back, no. Just just even yesterday, my neighbor is in his 70s. He approached my two older children. They're about to be 10 and 8. And he said, hey, these storms have come through over the past weekend. uh, Just wrecked my backyard. I got limbs. I got branches. I got leaves. I got all kinds of stuff. Need to be picked up. Would you be willing to come over and, and clean those up? I'll pay you for it. My kids got very excited. They've never had a job before. They're like, yeah, absolutely. So I I get home and I go help them. And the the message that I'm giving them through the entire thing, it's hot, we're sweaty, it's not fun work. But I'm like, hey, we're not doing this to get paid. We're doing this to serve our neighbor. 
This is what we're called to do. God loves us. God serves us. We're going to do this for others. I'm telling them that about five minutes in, my almost eight-year-old's like, when are we going to get paid? When's this going to happen? He, he missed the lesson. My older son, I think he got it, though. I, I really do. I think he understood, okay, I'm doing this to serve. I'm doing this because I'm going to humble myself. I'm not doing it to get paid. I'm not doing it to get rewards. I'm not doing it so mom and dad will like me. I'm doing this because it's the right thing to do. I think he got it. My middle son didn't. And I'll tell you right now, the sunburn on my back and the fact that my hamstrings hurt, I struggle to humble myself in this way. Yet Paul says in verse 5, our mindset should be the same as Jesus. And Jesus is God. But he didn't consider that something that he had to hold on to. That is ultimate humility. That is incredible humility. And I want you to stop and think and process just how magnificent that action truly is. How humble it is to say, I am God, but I don't have to hold on to that for you. Philippians chapter 2, verses 7 and 8 talk about what Jesus did when he let go of his godness. It says, rather, rather than staying just like God up on his throne, ruling over all, he made himself nothing by taking on the very nature of a servant slave. He was made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself even further by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. That phrase there, he made himself nothing, it means he made himself of no reputation. Can you remember the birth of Jesus? No fanfare, no fireworks, no trumpets, Nothing extravagant. Just a baby born in a manger in Bethlehem, out in the middle of literally nowhere, to a carpenter father, an unwed mother. The humility that Jesus took on, even in his birth, continued throughout his life. Every time Jesus started to grow his followers, every time he started to get a large crowd that wanted to be around him, he did something intentional to make sure and dismiss that crowd. He had a purpose. He had a purpose. And it's in Mark chapter 10 that we see that purpose, that the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many That purpose was clear. That humility was evident in his birth, in his life, and even in his death. He is the King of kings and the Lord of lords, yet he arrived with no fanfare. He didn't reign on a throne in Jerusalem. Absolutely, that's what every person expected the Messiah to come and do. But no, he didn't. In fact, he fled from Jerusalem. He had nowhere to lay his head. He was humble In his life, he took on the form of a servant. If I'm Jesus, I'm like, hey, Father, um, can we do like mid-level civic leader? You know, somewhere with a modest home, some kind of position of power. Like, it doesn't doesn't have to be Caesar or anything like that, but just something, just a little something. But no, he 
took on human form and the nature of a servant. He did that for you and for me. That was his mindset. That was his desire. And then, in the end, he laid down his life in the, most, in the most horrific and humiliating of ways. Rome didn't crucify everybody. It wasn't just a criminal's death. No, they saved crucifixion for those who rose up against the empire. Insurrectionists. Those who tried to overthrow the power of Rome. Jesus never did that, yet he died as one who had failed. You see, because if you were crucified in Rome, that meant you tried to do something. You tried to overthrow the government, and you got caught, and you were punished. And the way you were punished was to tell other people, don't try this. Don't try it again. And that's the death, the sinner's death. That Jesus died. He became obedient to death. Even death on a cross. Oh, the cross was so horrific. It was so shameful. But yet it was prophesied that that's exactly how our Savior would pay for the sins of his people. Through death. Even death on a cross. It's on the cross that we see this played out even more. The last three sayings of Jesus on the cross. He had seven, but the fifth one was, I thirst. Why would that be one of his seven sayings? It's super clear. It's to show that he was not pulling a God card in that moment. He had taken on human form and he was feeling every bit of that pain and that agony. And he says, I'm thirsty It's been hours. And then his sixth and seventh statements, they come back to back. Jesus cries out, it is finished. And then into your hands, Father, I commit my spirit. It's done. What you sent me to this earth to do is now done. It's finished. Your sins... And my sins have been paid for. For the wage of sin is death. Covered by a humble God that did not hold tightly to his Godness and came and died for you and me. And then he says, Father, I'm coming back to you. And you may ask, well, why did it have to be that way? I don't know. Why it had to be that way. But in John chapter 5, Jesus clearly states that the only things he does on this earth are the things that the Father wills. The things that the Father desires. And he tells the religious leaders after he healed someone on a Sabbath. He says, I'm just doing what God tells me to do. He's doing what the Father says to do. And he tells them, you're going to see even greater things than these And that promise of obedience to a father, we see that in the Garden of Gethsemane. We see that on the last night of Jesus' life when he prays three times. If there's any other way, if there's any other way, I want that way. I don't want to do this, but not my will, yours be done. He took on human form and he became obedient to the father to the point of death, even death On a cross, I ask you for the second time, 
do you have that mindset? Is that what governs you? Do you desire to be that faithful and that obedient and that humble? Because what Paul's saying here in this passage is our mindset needs to be the same as that of Christ Jesus. And I know for me, I fall way, way, way short because the bar is set way, way, way high. But that is my desire. Do you have that mindset? Because if you do and you live as Jesus lived and you think as Jesus thought and you humble yourself, then there is a reward. Look at Philippians chapter 2, verses 9 through 11. Therefore, because of his obedience, God exalted him to the highest place and he gave him the name that is above every name. That at that name, the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. When Jesus said, it is finished, into your hands I commit my spirit, I believe he knew the reward he was stepping in to receive. It was a present reward and a future reward. The present reward is this, that the name of Jesus, the name of Jesus will be the name by which all are saved. He had finished his task. He'd humbled himself. He'd let go of his godness and he had humbled himself and he died a sinner's death for you and for me. And Acts chapter four, verse 12 says this, salvation is found in no one else for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. His name is salvation. The name of Jesus, when we declare it, when we cry it out, it is salvation. It's not the name of Todd. It's not Dr. Phil. It's not Oprah Winfrey. There's no other name by which we can be saved. As much as we hope and think there may be a name out there that will provide for us the rescue and the restoration and the salvation that we desire, there is no other name, church. And when we look elsewhere, we are looking in empty, empty graves. It's the name of Jesus, and that is the reward for his obedience, for his faithfulness, for him leaving his throne in heaven and coming to earth and taking on human form and dying to sinners' death. That is his reward, that the name of Jesus is the name by which we will be saved. But there is a future reward where that name will cross the lips of every single creature on this earth. Revelation speaks of it. Revelation 5, 11 through 14, it says, Then I looked up, this is John writing, I looked up, and I heard the voice of many angels, numbering thousands upon thousands, 10,000 times 10,000, that's 100 million if you don't know how to do the zeros, 100 million angels, they encircled the throne and the living creatures and the elders, I'm not sure what those are, in a loud voice they were saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain, who humbled himself and laid down his life. Worthy is that lamb to receive power and wealth, and wisdom, and strength, and honor, and glory, and praise. And then I heard every creature in heaven, and on earth, and under the earth, and on the sea, and all that is in them, everything that he spoke into existence before the beginning of time, all of creation, saying to him 
who sits on the throne, the throne that he abandoned for you and for me. To him who sits on the throne and to the Lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. And then the four living creatures said, Amen. And the elders, they fell down and they worshiped. And I don't for one second, church, claim to understand how to interpret all of these things. But here's what I know. The one who humbled himself and took on the very nature of a servant and came and died as a ransom for many is now in heaven being exalted by a hundred million angels and all of creation. That will happen someday. That will occur And we are all going to decide now in our lives, do we want to be a part of that celebration or do we want to stand aside from it and say, I don't know if he's Lord. I don't know if he's God. I don't know if I can follow someone who did what? Let go of his godness. And he was still God. I want to make sure we're clear on that. He let go of what could have been his out. And he humbled himself and became obedient Obedient to death, even death on a cross. And it's Jesus' own words in Matthew chapter 23, verse 12, that tell us why this all happened. Jesus says, For those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Jesus is the King of humble. Now, if we talk about our humbleness, we're actually showing our pride. But Jesus is the king of humble. And because of that, he is now exalted in a manner worthy of the king of kings. And this is the mindset that we are to adopt. So I ask you, for the third time, do you possess the mindset of Christ? Do you think the way he does? Do you have no selfish ambition or vain conceit? Are you humble? Because God will exalt the humble. He will exalt the humble. But he will bring down the proud. And I think in this time, in this age where we're living right now, we all could use a big O dose of humility. And we learn it from the greatest king of humility. We learn it from Jesus, who being made in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used for his advantage, something to be held onto. But he humbled himself and he became obedient. Obedient to death, even death on a cross. Are you humble? If you're not, join the club. I struggle with it every day. But here's some ways to practically humble yourself. Probably the easiest way to humble yourself is to correctly view yourself in comparison with God. He is God. He knows all. He created all. He sustains all. And all things are for his glory. And you're not. You're not God. All things were not created for you and for your glory. 
All things were not made for you. We, we need to get that mentality out of our minds that we exist because God favored us and we should deserve everything. No, we need to humble ourselves in view of who God is. You need to know that you're loved, that you are provided for, that you're a child of God, but you're not God. You're not. So therefore, humble yourself before God and just as Jesus did, even though he was God, take on the nature of a servant. Look and see, are there ways that I can put the needs of others ahead of my own? Are there ways that I can serve just as Jesus did? Don't hold on to your position or your title and instead become like nothing. How this is depressing. I don't want to be nothing. I've fought my whole life to be something. Those who humble themselves will be exalted. There is a reward. It's eternal one. Jesus became nothing, but now look. For you to become nothing, what will your reward look like? One day, those who humble themselves will be exalted. But I do want to end with this caveat. It will be for the glory of God. Even your decision to humble yourself is ultimately for the glory of God. It's for the advancement of his kingdom. It's for the good of his church. It's for his glory. So today, what do you need to do? What do you need to do to adopt the mindset of Jesus? I would urge you not to just go, well, I'm choosing to be humble because that's not true humility. I would urge you to look at your life in light of who God is and what he's given you and realize that the greatest response that you can give to him is to choose to be a servant, a servant of all. God himself, in the form of Jesus, did just that, and that is our call. Let's serve one another. Let's be for one another, just as God is for us. Because we're not God. He is. And he's got all of this. He's got all of this. Humble yourself before him. And Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray that we might hear this message. We might see ways today that we can humble ourselves before you and before others. And that God, in doing so, we would glorify you. We would glorify your name in heaven. Help us do that as a church. Help, us, help me do that as, as a leader, Lord. Be humble before you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.